Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 31st episode of the Class Stars podcast. Today, we are joined by Mugisho Nidabuli from South Africa, originally from the Congo. And he is doing really, really outstanding, amazing work with women and children in his region. And we had a chance to talk with him. You're really going to love this one. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. Hi, everybody, and today we are thrilled to be joined by Mugisho Nidabuli, who is currently in South Africa and has been teaching uh, for quite some time, is actually going now for his PhD, trying to finish it up, and doing a lot of other amazing work helping women in Africa. So welcome, Mugisho. Uh, Thanks a lot. And let's start with uh, talking about what brought you into the field of education in the first place. I always like to ask people, you know, there are a lot of opportunities that we have in our life, and some of us choose to come into education, and there's always a story behind that. So what's the story for you? Uh, The story is like, uh, uh, I can say that uh, I feel I like education from the beginning. Uh, I wanted to become a teacher in my life. And uh, that's what pushed me to, to do education when I entered secondary school. Uh, after my secondary school, I entered the, the college, teacher's training college, where I continued with my education. But this time I took a different way. Uh, I needed to be uh, a specialist in, in teaching English. So uh, I got my uh, bachelor degree in education, uh, major in teaching English and African culture. And uh, after that, uh, uh, I was involved in teaching in different schools, uh, secondary schools and universities. And uh, it's later on that I decided to go to, 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 to further my studies uh, at master's level. And uh, this time I tried to change, but it is still connected anyway. Uh, got my master's in um, peace studies and conflict resolution. And currently I'm doing my PhD in gender studies. Excellent. So let's take a step back first. And you said that when you were in secondary school, you decided that you wanted to become a teacher. Yes. And so, so what was it that happened? Was there something that happened that you ha- did you have a teacher that inspired you? Was there someone that inspired you? Was there an incident that happened that made you realize that you would be well suited going into this, into this career? What do you remember a, a day? You know, sometimes we have like an experience that just flips a switch in our head and says, you know, this is something that we should be doing. Did anything like that happen with you? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, actually, uh, maybe I should mention this. I grew up in the village of DR Congo, and um, uh, at my time, uh, when we could see teachers, we, we considered teachers as uh, great people, as a model uh, that the population would be learning from, and I think this is what motivated me. When I could be entering class and I, I see a teacher speaking very well, smart, and 
very elegant and, and this motivated me. And then I said, I, I would like to be like such people one day in my life and become a teacher so that I can stand in front of people and tell them what I know, exchange ideas with them, and this could be helpful, uh, which I did later on. That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. So, so most, most of the audience of this podcast, as far as I know, is, is in the United States. And obviously, yes. they're very different here in the United States. Describe a little bit, you know, what it was like in the village growing up. You know, we go to school, you know, from a young age, we have school buildings filled with teachers. And, mm -hmm. you know, th there's, there's a lot going on over here. I'm sure it's drastically different where, you know, where you grew up and especially the time that you grew up. I'm sure it's even better today than it was when you were growing up. So describe a little bit what it was like. You know, did you go to school every day? What were the schools like? Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay, uh, uh, as I said, I grew up in the village and I was lucky because I had a father who was very uh, caring about me. Uh, he was very, very, um, uh, very caring about me and he wanted me to become somebody interesting in my life in the future. And he took me uh, to a school of uh, Marist Brethren, uh, where I, I studied. I was uh, a, a boarder. And uh, the school was beautiful. It was, um, uh, uh, it was built in solid materials with uh, like uh, two stores. Uh, it was in a big compound. And we could have uh, brothers, Marist brothers, who were teaching us. Some were coming from... Uh, Portugal, others from Kenya, from Rwanda, from, from France. Yeah, they were coming from different countries. And it was a, a school that was very much admired in the area. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You, you definitely were lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. Yes, indeed. Well, can, can we go back a little bit earlier than that? Tell us a little bit about your family growing up. Did you have siblings? What was, what was life like before you went to the boarding school? Yeah. Before I went to the boarding school, uh, I was living in a family. Uh, that time my, my, my father was still alive and uh, we were a family of uh, nine children and uh, I was the fourth. Yeah. So my, my father decided to, to, to send me to that school and uh, my elder brothers uh, couldn't do well in school and then I was doing well. My, uh, this gave my father motivation to just support me uh, because I was doing well and he did everything. Uh, he did everything he could to, to make me go well, to make me excel in school and which I did. And unfortunately, when I got my, my bachelor degree, he was no more alive. He had died and he couldn't get the result of his efforts. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so you went on to teach after you got your bachelor's degree? Uh, yes. I studied from that time, and um, uh, I went to teach abroad in, in Burundi. Burundi is a country that is a neighbor to DRC. That's where I started, but unfortunately, it was in 1994, um, that was a period where there was a war and I couldn't stay there for longer because uh, war was still going on and we had to flee. Uh, when I fled, uh, then I went back to Congo and that time then uh, I continued with my bachelor because I went to Burundi when I had my, my diploma. Excellent. 
I mean, that's not excellent that you had to flee and, and all that. That must have been very, very difficult. <laughs> but I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. But I'm glad you did get out, and I'm glad you're continuing to do to do what you're doing. What yes. was it like teaching over there? And what was it like teaching over there? What were the what were the kids like? First of all, what age were the children that you taught? Uh, the children were in secondary school, which means they were between um, between thirteen and nineteen, something okay. something like that. Yeah. And and what was it like? What was it like teaching there? The children were cooperative. They were interested in learning. They, they... yeah, the environment was very nice because it it was even an environment that is different from mine. And uh, I had that curiosity to to be teaching people from other area to to see how things work. And yeah, the environment was really good. Teachers were collaborative, and the 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 the, 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 the the students were also collaborative. It was giving me motivation. But unfortunately, the war did not allow me right. to stay there longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Any, any interesting stories that you can share with us from that, from that period, from that school? Anything exciting, interesting, challenging? Tell us something a little bit about that so we can get a little bit of the flavor of, of what it would be like for you at that time. Yeah, actually, it was a village, and uh, you know, African villages are not really uh, uh, good places. And yeah, the the place was like a village, and we could go to class every day. Uh, after class, we could meet like two or three teachers. We exchange stories because we were coming from different countries, and then from the stories, we could learn. Oh, this is what happens in this country. This is what happens in this area. This is how they believe. This is how they live. This is what they do. That this, yeah, we, we could know, we could learn about their particular lives. And this was something helpful because diversity is something uh, I always appreciate. We, we learn a lot from it. Yes, no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. No doubt about yeah. that. In the United States, very often teachers are struggling with behavior, children with behavioral challenges. Uh -huh. Sometimes the parents are not on board. Sometimes... Yeah. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy, the politics within the school, you know, uh -huh. the principal is overwhelmed or the administrator is overwhelmed and teachers yes. don't feel like they have the support that they need to, to manage the, the sizes of the classrooms and all the uh -huh. different tasks that are going on. Is there, yeah. how, how does that, uh, how does that play over in over there in, in your village? Uh, could you repeat, please? I didn't get you well. I'm sorry. Okay, sure. No problem. In, here in the United States, one of the primary challenges that teachers have mm -hmm. is managing children that have difficult behavior in school. Mm -hmm. so for example, if a teacher is trying to teach mm -hmm. and there is one student or two students that are disrupting the class, that are acting out, that are not really interested in learning, mm -hmm. and so they'll cause trouble for the rest of the class, and for the teacher, and then the mm -hmm. teacher has to stop mm -hmm. teaching in order to address this and work with the child. And sometimes mm -hmm. the parents are unhappy with what's going on in the classroom and they get involved and they make it even more difficult. Is, mm -hmm. Does any of that go on by you? Yeah, it happens everywhere, I think, because even uh, in our countries here, uh, such situations uh, often happen. And uh, in case you have a student who who is not following, making noise, you, you, you first talk to the student and see if the student can get uh, information you want to transfer to, to, to him. Uh, if he, he doesn't, then you will talk to the headmaster, to the, the, the school leader, 
and the school leader and the teacher with the, uh, the, the, the student, you can sit and discuss the issue. If there is no common understanding, then you can call upon the father, the, the parent, and uh, you sit as a team and see what can be done. Because I, I think education is not uh, an issue of the teacher alone, is not an issue of the parents alone, but it is a collaboration between the teacher, the learner, the, the parents, uh, and to some extent, the, the, the government. Yes, yes, yes. It's a, I, I always say it's a team game. Yeah, it is indeed. Team game. We have to have a good team, and the team has to work well together. Sure. Okay. So after you have to you have to leave the village because of the war, and you came back to to DRC, mm-hmm. and then you continue to pursue a master's degree. Not master's at that time. I went to Burundi when I had a diploma because in Congo, when you finish high school, you enter university. Okay. Uh, after two years at university, no, after three years, you get a diploma. Then after that diploma, you still have to go two more years to get a bachelor. Uh-huh. Then I, I went to Burundi when I had, uh, I had spent three years at university. I had a diploma. Uh, and then when things did not go well in Burundi, then I had to return back and then I got my degree. Uh-huh. And yeah. what was your degree in? Uh, it's... Um, degree in education, major in teaching English and African cultures. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And, then, and then what did you do with that? You went to teach again? Yes. Uh, after after uh, I had got my, that degree, uh, that was in 1997. I couldn't, um, I couldn't secure a job in Congo. Then I had to, to, to move to Rwanda, a neighbor country. And in Rwanda, I was lucky to, to get a job. At that time, I was still single. I worked for two years, and then I got married, and I relocated to Rwanda with my wife uh, until, uh, until last year. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what does your wife do? Uh, she's the executive secretary of our organization, and oh. uh, she, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. I, I would love to hear more about your organization and, and all the great work that you're doing with that. But let's, let's go in order. So, okay. so, so after you had a, your, your degree, your bachelor's degree in education mm-hmm. and, and African cultures, yeah. and what was the next step? What was the next step? So the next step, uh, then uh, I went to, to, to Rwanda, as I said, uh, where I uh, had been teaching for uh, since to uh, things and uh, 1999 uh, up to last year. So I've been teaching in secondary schools, I've been teaching in universities, and um, uh, that's, that's what I've been doing mainly, yeah. And, and how was how that? What, can you tell us any stories of, of students that you've been able to connect with in a, in a very meaningful way? or that gave you maybe a run for your money more than others? You know, every teacher has their story of, you know, that student that that's hard to forget for one reason or yeah. another. Yeah, they do exist. And, and uh, uh, actually the students I, I had been teaching, they, they came from uh, different parts of Rwanda. Uh, and uh, recently, uh, before I, I, I left for coming to South Africa, 
the, uh, I was teaching at an American university based in Kigali called Kepler. It is a, a university program in collaboration with uh, Southern New Hampshire. And uh, this gave me a special attention because uh, I was I was this time teaching students from Rwanda, from Burundi, and from Congo, uh, refugee students, because that university program was helping uh, to empower refugee students. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot from them because um, being a refugee is not an, e an easy thing. You, you're uprooted from your community and you're obliged to be living in a, in a country that is not yours where you don't have the, the same rights as the people from that country. So um, those students were amazing, amazing people. But uh, I discovered that being a refugee is not only to, to be out of the country, but it's another way of being motivated, another way of thinking different. Because when you're not home, you know, you, you uprooted, you have to work hard. You have to think of how you can make your, your life not uh, relinquish, but um, to, to, to make your life be meaningful, to be your life be successful. And um, some of those students, uh, we could talk and we could um, spend some time together, like visiting places and um, yeah, visiting places, going to some activities together. And you, you hear their stories. You, you, you learn a lot from them. That's amazing. Can you share? Can you share a story with us of one of these students? A story. Uh, I, I really don't have a specific story. Okay. But just when we were together, we, we could exchange ideas, right. like comparing places, because you come from a different place, and right. now you're living in another place. Just talking about that, talking about the people, talking about the environment talking about the weather, things like those. Right, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, now, and now we come to the part where you founded this organization, mm -hmm. Congolese Females Actions for Promoting Rights and Development. Yes. Tell, tell us about how, how you got involved, how you got started with that. Yeah, uh, actually the idea of creating COFAPRI, Congolese Females Action for Promoting Rights and Development came as I was in Rwanda. Uh, I could be uh, surfing uh, social media and uh, just uh, reading stories. And then I could see, uh, I could see that I could make something that could be helping uh, the women. And because when I left Congo, I left because there was instability, there was war. And sometimes uh, while in Rwanda, I could go back to Congo to visit my village. And I could see how women are suffering, how children are suffering. And, I, I said, if I could have possibilities, I could start an activity that could be empowering these women and these children. Then um, through social media, I fell on a friend from the UK called Chris Crowstaff. And we could be chatting from time to time. And one day I told her, I would like to, to start an organization to help women and children who are suffering in, in my area of Congo. And she said, yeah, that sounds interesting. And you can do it, I'm sure. Then, um, at that time, she was managing a, another organization called Safe World for Women. And we could be exchanging ideas, exchanging ideas. And then 
at a given time, I, I thought of a, a name of an organization and I said, uh, this is what I'm thinking would be my organization. And that is how we started Congolese Females Action for Promoting Rights and Development, COFAPRI. Um, then, uh, <clears throat> then she introduced me uh, to, to her husband, uh, Andrew Sampson, and both of them are an amazing couple. They are good people, really, really good people. Up to this time I'm talking to you, we are friends and we have never met, but you, you might think when they're talking about me, when I'm talking about them, you might think these people have already met several times, but never. <laughs> yeah, so. That's the beauty uh, of social media. Yeah. So we, we started Kofapri in that way. And um, then, and uh, something, something that makes me, um, that makes me not to, to forget those people, it is that they offered to, to start a website for Kofapri. And they made a website for Kofapri and everything. They managed everything. We, we are really, really grateful for that. Right. So uh, then Kofapri, what does it do? Uh, for the moment, Kofapri is operating in, a, in a quite a, a big area than the time we started. When we started, I remember we started with uh, three women. But for the moment, we have more than 300 women yeah. and we are sponsoring 300 children in school, paying right. school fees and, and uh, equipment. Wow. Uh, uh, what we do with the women is we, we try to empower the women through income generating activities like sewing, animal rearing, small business, and cultivation. In addition to those activities, we teach the women, uh, elite, uh, we teach the women basics in writing and reading because reading and writing can help them do well their sewing, can help them do well their uh, small business, can help them take care of the animals. Um, we, also, uh, we also collaborate with an organization based in the UK. The organization is called uh, Taremachi Education. Uh, they, they supply us with uh, DVDs and those DVDs are um, educative. They uh, contain themes about hygiene, about education, about how people can change negative behaviors into constructive behaviors. So we screen, um, we screen those DVDs uh, with teams of people and they learn a lot from that. And this is also helping them uh, in a way of being uh, hygienic and in a way of being uh, aware of different diseases that they can be combated in a way or another. So for the children, uh, the children, we, we try to look for children in different villages, children born of rape, children who are discriminated because they don't have fathers. They don't have fathers because they were born on, on raped mothers. So the rapists uh, who should be the father are not known and they are enemies. So because of this, the women and the mother, uh, the women and the children are discriminated at family and community levels. Yeah. So we try to help these children to, to go to school so that they can have a better future. And their mothers, we help them, as I said, through income generating activities. So uh, we look for those children and we try to look for schools where we can enroll them. We help them get enrolled. And then we know that in 
schools A, B, C, we have children there, and our coordinators on the field, they visit those schools every, every term to see how they are progressing in school. Uh, they bring them school materials every beginning of the year, and we try to pay them school fees. So it, it's not easy, it's not easy, it's hard because we don't have um, enough funds. Uh, but we, we try to help those we can. Sometimes we fail to pay the, the, the whole amount of school fees the whole year, and uh, we will have paid the half at that time, and the parents can also try to do something. So, how many, that how many is, children? How many children are you working with right now? Uh, we have 300 for the moment. Wow! So you have 300 women and 300 children. Yeah, the, the women are, are more than 300. Yeah, women are more than 300. Wow! Yeah, they, yeah, wow. but the children are exactly 300. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Obviously, you realize that your your the impact that you're having on the lives of these people is it's impossible to it's impossible to speak of it it's it's so amazing yeah i think i think god god has given us life god has given us possibilities we have to use the possibilities god gave us to help others amazing amazing yeah. amazing work wow and and yeah. so how do you get, this must what does it cost you to 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 operate your organization for a year the cost? Mm -hmm. uh, can you be more specific? Meaning, meaning you're helping over 300 women, you're helping 300 children, you're providing mm -hmm. them with classes, with materials, with, mm -hmm. with, 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 with a lot of, of very, very important resources. So yeah. what, what does that cost you? What is, what is, what does it cost? How much money do you need to raise to run your organization for, for one year, let's say? Uh, I, I can't really know how much because uh, so the way we work is this. So we do a small business. We rear animals. We we do cultivation. We do sewing. Okay. Now it is from those activities that we get money. We collect money from here mm -hmm. and there, and we put the money together. And then we say we meet as a big team. We ask the members, the women who are uh, members of our organization. We ask them. Uh, what are we missing? They say we are missing ABC. Then we say, how much money did we collect this, this term, this month, this year? Then they say we have this amount. Then we discuss, can we help the children with this? Can we add this on, on business? Can we add this again on animals? Wow. Yeah, that is how we work. Wow, wow. So yeah. the women yeah. that are empowering are actually funding the organization to continue to empower them and to help more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So it is, it is only, it is only uh, after we have worked on different activities that we can know this is what we had. But at the beginning, we, we really don't know because what we get is from the activities we are doing. And wow. we, can't, we can't know how much we will get before activities are done. Wow. Yeah. Is, there, is there a way if people want to help you, is there a way that they can get in touch with you to help you out? Really yeah, well. those, who, those who can want to help us, they can visit our website. They can visit us on our Facebook. They can, also, um, they can also call me if they want or call our executive secretary. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And your wife is, and your wife is, uh, is also involved in this organization.
Yeah, she, she is also motivated for the moment. As I am not, uh, uh, as I'm not uh, close to my country now, she, she's the one managing everything. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. And, and you're finishing up, you're, you're, you're going for a PhD now. You're trying to get your PhD. Yes, uh, I, I'm done with my proposal. I'm not working on my literature. And according to my schedule, I think um, in March 2021, I'd be done. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And what will that allow you to do? Once you get your PhD, what's, what's, what's next on the horizon for Mugisho? You're, you're, you're conquering the world, Mugisho. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to see, but I, I'm committed. And uh, um, if I decided to, to do that PhD, it's because I want to, to have more, more knowledge about uh, women empowerment, about uh, women issues, because I'm doing gender studies, as I told you. Right. I want to have more information. I want to have more knowledge. And this can help me to, to, to help more women and more children. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing work. So, wow, I mean, you, your, your journey is, uh, has been so far really, really remarkable. And uh, I hope you continue to become even more remarkable. I don't, you know, I don't even know what to say. This is really, really amazing. What you're doing for these women, for these children is really, uh -huh. really fantastic. Really fantastic. Yes, yes. So, so, so what, was, what was the, you know, looking back at all of this, mm -hmm. looking back at all of this, what was let's say, what was the biggest challenge? Let's talk about the biggest challenge for you. Was there ever a time where you felt, you know, I can't do this. This is too much. This isn't going to work. You know, mm -hmm. were, were you ever discouraged along your journey? I mean, you must've been, it, it's impossible to go through a journey like this and never, uh, you know, feel discouraged. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, challenges are many indeed. Uh, challenges are many. Uh, you know, the country, my country, DRC has been in war for more than 25 years and uh, the very very first challenges we got was in 2011 when we had 11 pigs because the women are, are rearing animals and pigs are some of those animals so we had 11 pigs at that time and all the pigs were looted by 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 bandits and we had to start from scratch and also in Last year, last year in July, we had 13 sewing ma machines in one center and all those machines were stolen. We, we had again to start from scratch. We, we talked to our friends, luckily um, they helped us and we, we, we happened to purchase eight sewing machines for that specific center that the women are using for the moment. So, uh, also, the issue we have is to, to get enough money to, 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 to support all the activities. So you, you see, as I explained, that uh, the money we are using is coming from the activities the women are doing. Not only we, we want to teach those women not to be dependent on external support, to learn how to can uh, be using their own knowledge, to learn how they can be using their hands and their brains, but also if we could have support from, um, uh, from, from outside, that could be helpful. Yeah. Sure. sure. Wow. Yeah. What was the most rewarding or exciting experience that you've had through all of this? What was like the highest point 
that made you really feel like, wow, this is really amazing? Yeah, that, that, that's a, an interesting question. And yeah, uh, there are many things I cannot forget about what we are doing. Uh, first of all, I remember in 2016, when we graduated uh, 56 women who had been learning sewing, wow. we invited local leaders, traditional leaders and government leaders. They were pre present, even the priests came. Wow. And I recall one local leader said, Mugisho, you are a gem for these women. You are reaching areas where international organizations are failing to reach. And the, 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 the results of what you are doing can be seen on the field. So uh, that traditional leader gave us a trophy. And that trophy, we still have it really. Uh, when I look at it, I say, wow, this is really something interesting. Wow, <laughs> wow, it certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, the, the second thing is um, in 2017, we also graduated uh, 26 women who were learning basics in, in reading and writing in, in another area. The area is called Katana. Uh, again, we invited many people and the local leaders, again, they gave us a, another trophy uh, for encouragement. They said the women we are empowering are really, really a big, a big support to the community, a big support to families. And they said, this is what we can give you to thank you and to encourage you to do more. Uh, the women also, they decorated me because uh, I, I was the one who was representing Kofapri. They, they decorated me with a, a, a golden medal. And wow. uh, yeah, uh, those are some of the moments I cannot really forget. But importantly, importantly is that when I go to visit uh, those women, when I look at them, where they are and where they came from, you see there is a big difference. Sure. If you can read on our posts on Facebook, you will see some of their stories. Mm -hmm. uh, they were not able to eat three times a, a, a day, for example. Now they can eat three times. They were not able to send their children to school. Now the children are going to school. When I go to the village, you see all those children, they come and just hug me, sing for me. And that, that is really something I feel. I feel like something I, I would thank God for. And I really appreciate it because what we are doing is giving a positive impact in the lives of these children, giving a positive impact in the lives of their mothers, positive impact in the community even the women who are sewing their stories are incredible i think if you can go uh, through our post on facebook you will see the stories they give uh, somebody who was not able to get 20 dollars a year now is getting 50 dollars a month this wow. is a big step this is a big step, big step. It, it, yeah it, it's not it's not really big 50 dollars it's not big but for that woman that sure. is a big step. That is a big step. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Stories are many, and uh, I cannot remember all of them. They are really many, 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 and interesting. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. What yeah. you're doing is really, really amazing. And I really want to thank you for taking out the time and yeah. spending some time with us because, Mugito, yeah. what you're doing is amazing. Mm -hmm. You should continue to do it with your wife for many, many years and, and continue to help people and to build people and empower them. 
yes. and especially these these women and and these children who are really really lost without you you know they really have uh they're at a tremendous disadvantage and and you're really bringing them up and, yeah. and giving them skills that will last for many many generations to come mm-hmm. excellent excellent work thank you so much is there anything before we wrap it up if there's anything that you want to speak to the audience or tell anybody anything i know you've told us how we can get in touch with you if, if anybody wants to help there are many ways of getting in touch many ways of hearing more stories about uh, about you and your organization but is there any last uh, message that you want to give yeah the message is that uh, i think we we are living in this world we are not an island we live because others live we have to support each other and support does not necessarily giving money. You can support me through advice. You can support me by telling me thank you. You can support me by, yeah, different ways. So we, uh, I would tell to the audience that uh, whenever you feel you can help a person, do it because you are not helping that person. You are helping the community. You are even helping yourself because the more you give, the more you feel happier inside you. And uh, this is something everybody should be understanding that if we, I can help a person and that per- person helps another person, then our communities can get better. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Mugisho, thank you so much. Continue your great work. And we're looking forward to seeing more great stories on social media. And hopefully we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. I'm very happy to have been in touch with you. Same here. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. God bless you. I hope you got value from this podcast. And please, before you go, if you can just subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends, that will be really, really amazing. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a class stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.